Matthew chapter number 13, Matthew chapter number 13, if you'd find your spot in your Bible there. If you need a Bible, there's a few Bible right in front of you, we call it, that'd be page 575, page 575, otherwise if you have your own Bible, Matthew chapter 13, if you can find that, we'll be looking in verse 24, we are continuing a message we began last week entitled, Living Among the Wheat and the Tares, uh, from a parable that Jesus Christ gave here on the, the shore of the lake there, and as he spoke to the multitudes, he spoke from a boat, and he gave this uh, parable. We're going to look at it, read through it one more time to familiarize ourselves with it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 is where we'll start and following. And we sure are glad you're here today. I hope you now have our hearts prepared and ready to get something from God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, another parable put he, that's Christ, forth unto them, the multitude, including his disciples, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder come, or came, excuse me, and said unto him, sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares. Bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Let's fast forward to verse 36, if you will, with me. The disciples follow Jesus Christ into a house, the house where he was staying. And uh, many believe it's Peter's house. Went to the house and his disciples, verse 36, and his disciples came unto him, saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. We saw last week, they are coming to him asking for an explanation. Verse 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man, a term used for Jesus Christ in the scripture. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Another term used for the devil, Satan himself. The enemy, verse 39, that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. Let's stop there a moment. Let's back up. Let's see exactly what we have already learned thus far. The first thing is, in this parable we've seen this, that there are two sowers, two sowers, an eternal one and an envious one. We said this, and uh, observe this fact, the devil has always been and will ever be envious of God. He is literally a false farmer. He has always wanted God's throne. He's wanted God's place, his power, his rule, his title, and it hasn't stopped. And so here he is. He's a false farmer. He's imitating God. And we made this application, and never forget it, friend, that Satan, if he can't have the throne of heaven, he'll want the throne of your heart. He wants, it, he wants either the throne of heaven, he wants either to take God's place in heaven over all creation, or he'll settle for being Lord of your life, ruling your life through temptation and everything else, the throne of your heart. Mark it down. That's his desire. This is the enemy, this false farmer, this one who came and planted these tares. Then we saw not only two sowers, but there's two seeds. And these two seeds are similar. And that's really where we focused on last week at the end of the message. And yet, as we'll see today, they will be separated. 
But these two seeds, the, the wheat and the tare, are very similar. As I was continuing studying this week, and I found a little bit more of a good description of the tare, uh, what is called the common weed, which is called darnel. Uh, it's a poisonous rye grass. It, it tremendously resembles wheat. In fact, it, it's, as we said last week, very hard to distinguish it, even upon close scrutiny. Yet the fact is this. When the fruit or the ears are formed at the time of harvest, it's, uh, it's said that even a child could tell the difference. What does that tell us? Don't miss that. The difference between the tares and the wheat will eventually be clearly revealed. It will be clearly revealed, and we'll speak more of that even today. But the fact is, it's the same with the wheat and the tares. The ones who are truly gods of the kingdom of God will be seen. Those who are not, those who are of the wicked one, will be revealed and seen. It's interesting. It's said that the darnel is, uh, often har- harbors a harmful uh, fungal growth, and their seed, if it's eaten, can cause dizziness and vomiting and even death. So the question, even the parable is, well, why don't you go take care of it? Why don't you just go rip out the weeds? Why, why don't we just destroy the darnel now, that, those tares, and get them out of the field so that the wheat can grow? Well, it's interesting. Even in modern day, the darnel roots, uh, interestingly, they often burrow in the ground and they find the roots of the wheat. And they intertwine themselves with it. And so it's very hard for a farmer. That's why even the farmer in this and representative of Jesus Christ says, no, no, don't go do that. Verse 29 says what? Farmer says, listen, you're going to uproot the wheat when you try to rip out that tear, that darnel. Don't do that. We don't want to hurt or harm the wheat. And certainly that's God's plan uh, to not to protect the wheat. If we understand this truth, Satan desires to oppose and hinder and counter God's work with tireless persistency. He is always there seeking whom he may devour, whether it be believer or unbeliever. We made this statement, and uh, the fact is this, uh, to the servants and even the trained eye, you can't tell the difference between the two growing plants in the field. So our job right now, one of our jobs right now is this, we need to wake up to the reality that there is a fake farmer out there, and there's fake seed out there. He's out there planting tares in the world, in the church, wherever you and I find our place uh, or find ourselves, that's where it is. We've also came to understand this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that this fake farmer is planting fake seed. And part of that is that there's going to be fake Christs that are promulgated, fake gospels that are preached, fake spirits that are promoted, fake ministers that are praised, fake believers that are present. Our enemy is very, very busy. If he can, we said this last week, we observed the Bible verse, if he could, he would love to deceive the very children of God. That's his desire. And so it it ought not to surprise us that he's out there uh, planting all these fake things to deceive people in the world. Your neighbors, my neighbors, your family members, my family members, your friends, my friends, your coworkers, and so forth. The reality is Satan is very, very active. And he is planting tares even today. He is trying to uh, make sure that the difference cannot be seen easily. 
based on that, we've concluded this, these realizations. And in order to combat that impact in our lives and our churches, we said these three things. And this will be our final summation of last week's message. But I want to add a little bit to it. First of all, we said this. Number one, make sure you are the real thing. What's the real thing? Well, be a child of God. How do you become a child of God? That whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ and uh, believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, whosoever believeth. And so you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make sure you're the real thing. In fact, the Bible says this. Paul wrote it in, in Corinthians here. And sorry about the font mess, messing up, but examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves whether ye be of the faith. Examine yourselves. So, so test your own heart. Evaluate. Make sure that there is a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Secondly, you know what we said, not only reality of make sure you're the real thing, but understand and live in light of the knowledge that there are some good fakes out there. Understand and don't become disillusioned when you find out that someone who you thought was a great Christian or a great preacher, uh, someone who, uh, a great believer, is revealed as not even being a Christian. Don't throw out the truth because of the tares among the wheat. You know what, I, I want to point out something here and add a little bit that we didn't get into last week concerning this truth. One of Satan's more subtle uh, tactics. You know, last week we talked about a $20 bill, and I had one, I'm sorry I don't have one this morning, but we talked about a counterfeit $20 bill. And uh, the reality is that uh, we talked a little bit about that and understanding how, boy, it looks so much like the original as the tares look like the weeds and so forth. Let me ask you this. If you, if you had a counterfeit uh, $20 bill, in fact, you took it to somewhere, they got out their little marker and they marked it and said, oh, sorry, sir, sorry, ma'am, we can't accept it. It's a, it's a counterfeit $20 bill. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. I got that from so-and-so at the church, unbelievable. They're passing counterfeit. I tell you, it's a counterfeit. What do you, you mean it's counterfeit? Now, let me ask you this. Would you do this if they said, hey, that's counterfeit? Yeah, well, unbelievable. Would you go into your wallet? Would you then go into your purse and say, this is just unbelievable? And you take out all your money and you throw it in the trash can. If you said, oh, man, that, that's counterfeit? Unbelievable. Would you go to the bank and withdraw all your money and just say, oh, obviously, this is just worthless and burn it all? say, oh, no, Pastor Henry, that's ludicrous. Just because one is counterfeit doesn't make them all counterfeit. May I put before you that many people use that same erroneous reasoning when it comes to Christians? They, they find one that is false. They find one that's a hypocrite. They find one that's disobedient to God's word in one or more areas, and they turn their back on Jesus Christ and all of Christianity. My friend, may I challenge you today, don't let one counterfeit turn you from Christ. Don't let ten turn you from Christ. Because Christ is real. Christ is righteous. Christ is true. And it goes even farther for us. There may be those out in the world who do just that. Can I tell you, there's people who are in church. They have a bad experience with someone else in the same church. They, they maybe stop attending that church because of that one person. Who might be a terror, maybe just a wheat that isn't growing like it should. And so they leave church. Some just switch churches or whatever the case may be. May I tell you this? You aren't going to fix your problems by switching churches. You aren't going to fix your problems by stopping going to church. The tears are everywhere. They're everywhere. 
you're going to encounter them throughout this entire world. Jesus Christ said the field is the world. So they're going to be out there. Counterfeits are going to be present. You're going to come face to face with them. And the challenge then is what the title of this message is, living among the wheat and the tares. How do we handle it? Can I challenge you too? There are Christians who see a leader, someone in position of authority or fame falter. And they become disillusioned by it, letting their own faith suffer because of it. Don't give in to that. Don't become disillusioned. Don't, because you see a terror exposed, don't fall. I mean, we, my generation, we grew up, and, and all of a sudden, media attention given to pastors who fall in sin, or whatever the case may be. And I could mention Falwell, Swaggart, I mean, you, several names that you could talk about that were exposed and so forth. All along. Listen to me. Listen, do not put your faith in man. Put your faith in the father, the farmer. He's true. Be careful. And now even modern day, I, I just, it's hard to believe, and many of them, maybe our younger folks would, would identify. Just recently, a pretty well-known author who wrote some pretty decent books with some good biblical pre- uh, principles presented in them um, just did this. He renounced his faith. His name is Joshua Harris. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, he wrote a book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It's a book I've read. has some good truth in it. He used some biblical truth in it. It's one I've recommended to people. It challenges young people about the fact that they ought to put their walk with God first and so forth, let God take care of the future and some things, has some very good principles in it. Well, interesting, just a few months ago, Joshua Harris, that author, he he basically renounced his faith in Christ. He divorced his wife. He stated that he's no longer a Christian, and the fact is he apologized for some of the things he wrote in his books, and the last news that I read about him, he was attending a gay pride parade, endorsing or encouraging, supporting some of his friends. Now, does that mean that all the biblical stuff that was true that he had in his, in his book is not any good? Does that mean Christianity doesn't work? Not at all. You know what it means? God's word is true. God's word is true. God said it long time ago. There will be those who fall away. There will be those who are tares among the wheat. And whether Joshua Harris is a tear among the wheat or a wheat that is heavily backslidden and will be chastened of God, may I tell you, only God knows. But I do know this. His story, the stories that have gone before us, the fact is this. It only proves God's word correct. And that you and I can take that to the bank, that we can trust it, that we can put our faith in it. Uh, Such a sad story, yet proves God's word is right. God said this was true. God said it would happen, that there are tares among the wheat. Don't let it stifle or lessen your faith. Uh, Don't let it discredit God and his teachings in your mind and heart and your estimation. Don't let it stop you from being the best wheat and Christian that you can be with God's help found in his word and his spirit. The third thing we said was, in addition to make sure you're the real thing, understand and live in light of the knowledge that there are some good fakes out there. Number three, we said this, know the truth because it, like nothing else, can free you from falling for fakes. We looked at a couple verses, John chapter 8, verse 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The verse right before that said, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And so we made this conclusion. Here's how you know when a believer's fake, when a minister's fake, when there's a fake Christ, a fake gospel, a fake spirit, you have discernment. That only comes from the word of discernment, the Bible. 
Okay? So we've established now, we've established that there are definitely two seeds in the world, the wheat and the tares, and it's hard to distinguish them. But here's the question. How should we, how should we as the wheat, if we've trusted in Christ, if we're believers, how should you and I treat the tares? If we say, okay, they're out there, they're in the world, and even they're in the church, those who put on a, 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 a fake, a, a game, they play the game well, they're hypocrites, they, they may look like Christians. Christ said that there'll be people who come to him, claim to have a relationship, casting out devils and prophesying his name, and he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You never had a relationship with me. So if they're out there, how, uh, what should our attitude be towards them? Well, let me reiterate, number one, first of all, we've got to acknowledge that they are there. We can't walk around naively and believe that all who claim salvation or even name the name of Christ are part of the family of God. You may come across a great website, a great Facebook page, and they're like, oh, Jesus Christ this, Jesus Christ this. But be careful, they may throw in a bunch of error. Because why? Satan knows through imitation he can lead many astray. So don't naively accept, well, they mentioned Jesus Christ, and boy, it sounds so good, and sounds like a great place, and he sounds like a great preacher, and sounds like a great webpage. Fantastic, but you need to have the discernment of God's word to know, to identify. So don't naively accept everybody that says, well, I'm a Christian. You know, can I tell you, I've been out in the world, and I've taken my, a car somewhere to get worked on, or I've talked to somebody about doing me a business, and I say I'm a pastor, like, oh, I'm a Christian too. Like, was that, yeah, okay, so now I'm just supposed to trust you and give you all my money? Is that, is that what, you, I mean, it's funny how people just throw that out there, you know, and try, hey, be careful. Not anyone that claims to be one is one. Be careful. Number two, let me challenge you along the same lines. Secondly, we must trust the farmer. We must trust the farmer. You know what's interesting here in this passage? It's clear the farmer has a plan. Now listen to me, don't miss this. The farmer has a plan for the current time of growing, the present time, but he also has a plan for the future time of harvest. We see his plan recorded for us in verse 28. Notice it, and we'll read down through verse 30 again. Verse 28, he said unto him, that's the farmer, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, nay. Okay, that's no. Lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Now notice the first part of verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. Let them grow. You know what it tells us about the farmer, i.e., it tells us about God? He is a long-suffering, patient God. He always has our best in view. He's not ripping out the tares left and right because it could be harmful to the wheat. Don't miss it. He, he, he doesn't want to hurt the wheat. So he's not going to just rip out the tares because some could naively follow. Some could be influenced and impacted by that. So he's not doing that. So he has a plan. Trust the farmer. Then number three, don't miss this. We must understand that the wheat is not given the responsibility to root out the tares. Did you catch that? You and I, as the wheat, we're not given the responsibility to go around and say, okay, we're going to root out everyone that's a terror. Whether it's at my work or at the church, or I, we're going to go root them out. We need to get a hold of the truth. It's not our job to get rid of false ministers and false believers. It's not our responsibility to root them out and destroy them. God has not called you and I to annihilate every false teacher, every heretic, and every fake, fake believer. 
You say, whoa, why? What's the problem with that? Well, how many times has the so-called quote-unquote church gotten that wrong over the years? May I submit to you such things as uh, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the rule and reign of Bloody Mary in England, all of which saw good people, believers, suffer and be condemned, yea, rooted up, all in the name of doing away with false teachers and false believers. See, here's the reality, and don't miss it today. You and I as the wheat, not only is it not our job to root out uh, the tares, but we don't have the right tools for it. We don't have the right tools. You ever go to weed a garden? You ever go to, to, to get some weeds out or do something and you don't have the right tool and you accidentally took out the, the good plant? I have a confession to make. As a husband with a weed eater, there has been a bad day before. <laughs> Me, plants, weeds. Somehow, in my eagerness, the weeds were gone, but so were some plants. Bad, sad day in the Henry household. Hey, can I tell you, you don't have the right tool. You and I don't have the right tool. We don't know the hearts of people, do we? How many of us have said, wow, I can't believe those people aren't attending church anymore. Man, they used to be so faithful. They used to do this and do that, and they used to give. And Boy, I can't believe that preacher fell into sin. And he's no longer, done. man, that just blows my mind. Of anybody, I never would have guessed. You know this? God is never taken by surprise. He knows the heart. You and I don't. It's not our job, and yay, we don't have the tools to do the job. We don't know the hearts of men. Oh, yes, we can see fruit. I get it. But you know what this parable tells us? Some fruit isn't revealed until the very end. The heart is not distinguished until we get there. See, we don't see the hearts like God does. Oh, fruit can give us an indication, and just, yay, just as it's taught in this parable, you and I won't always see that fruit, though, until the end, and the farmer knows best. Martin Luther, certainly we wouldn't agree with him on many things. I think this is interesting, though. He lived during a time when the so-called church went about rooting out heretics and false teachers. They did it by burning people at the stake and killing them, murdering them. And he wrote about the harm that was done. Notice what Martin Luther said in his day when the so-called church was worried about rooting out the tares. Notice what he said. He said this. I know it's small, so you can listen. Okay? From this, observe what raging and furious people we have been these many years and that we desire to force others to believe. The Turks with the, the sword, the heretics with fire, the Jews with death, and thus outroot the tares by our own power, as if we were the ones who could reign over hearts and spirits and make them pious and right, which God's word alone must do. But by murder we separate the people from the word so that it can possibly work upon them and we bring thus, it cannot, excuse me, possibly work upon them and we bring thus with one stroke a double murder upon ourselves as far as it lies in our power, namely that we murder the body for time and the soul for eternity and afterwards say we did God a service by our actions and wish to merit something special in heaven. May I say amen? Amen. He nailed it. 
He did, much better than I ever could. He said, listen, we're, we're going about this all wrong. We're playing the farmer's part. It's not our job. And the reality is, you know what we're hurting? Not just the tares, we're hurting the wheat. We're hurting the wheat. So before you and I pass judgment, before you and I start to go to work, let's remind ourselves the tares are accountable to God, not to you and me. And don't be mistaken, certainly we have to combat false doctrine, false teaching, any false gospel. Get it, we're going to do that. You know this pulpit is hot and warm with preaching against false doctrine. We will do that, we will identify it. But our job is not to uproot any of those things, it is to confront it with the truth of God's word. So we'll go on confronting, but it's not my job, your job to do it. But Pastor Henry, Pastor, isn't church discipline designed to do that? To uproot uh, believers out of the church or unbelievers out of the church? No, it's not. That's a misconception of church discipline. Church discipline, as we have studied, is designed for reconciliation, not uprooting. Either the reconciliation of a sinning brother or sister to God and the family of God in fellowship or the reconciling of a fake, unsaved person to God in salvation. In other words, it's either bringing a believer back to where they ought to be in good communion and fellowship and a right standing with God or you know what church person might do? It may identify someone who's not saved in the church but the whole goal, goal is not to uproot them and throw them out. The goal is to bring them to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Taking a tear to be a wheat through faith alone in Jesus Christ. See, there's no destruction intended by the process of church discipline. Only restoration for the person involved. So can I challenge you not to do this? Don't make it your personal crusade to take down a false TV personality. Don't make it your goal in life to expose false Christians around you if it's the last thing you do. Leave that to God. Remember, it's not your job. You don't have the right tools to do it. Just understand the type of attitudes you're supposed to have as a wheat towards the terror. Now let's finish the parable by understanding that these two seeds, similar, that one day they will be clearly and obviously separated in the most graphic way. Look at verse 39. We kind of left off in this in the passage. Look at verse 39 of Matthew chapter 13, if you will, with me. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be by the end, uh, in the end of this world. Verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. We'll stop there for just a moment. You know what we've seen? We've seen two sowers. Okay. One who's eternal, one who's envious. We've seen two seed, similar yet separated. And now I want you to see this. There's two final stops. A fire's torment or a father's territory. There's two final stops for the weed and the tear. This is God's plan coming to fruition. The parable, the harvest is described. What did Christ say? Well, that's the end of the world. Uh, it, literally, what it means is it's the end of the age. It's the end of a dispensation, the present age, the present dispensation. As it comes to a close and the next age then begins, it's kind of at that meeting of the two, the next age of judgment and then the eventual establishment of Christ's kingdom here on earth. 
Christ says there will be a great harvest. Look with me. Hold your spot here. I want you to look at a passage. Christ is prophesying, hey, there's coming a harvest. Look with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. It's page 736 if you have a pew Bible. But Revelation chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. Okay? So Christ is giving us this parable. He says there's going to be a future, the end of the world, the end of the age, the harvest is coming. And notice what happens in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 16. There is a description, a rather vivid one for us. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 following. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Who was the farmer? The Son of Man. Notice it. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Verse 16. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's interesting, doesn't it? It's quite vivid. What did the verse say about the earth? For the harvest of the earth is ripe. The fruit is full grown. And what did we say about the darnel? What did we say about the tare and the wheat? That you can't distinguish them until it's time for the fruit to be born. When they are ripe. And so here we are. The fruit is full grown. It's ripe. It's ready to be harvested. So what is the fruit of the tares? How, do you, how are they going to be told? Well, look at back in Matthew chapter number, or verse 41 here, Matthew 13, if you will, with me. Matthew, verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. So the tares, their fruit, will identify them because they, they do things that are an offense to God in their living uh, they reject God, and they refuse to come to God. Literally, it says it's their great iniquity, their great sins that are ripe. Now get this, and get the picture of the parable. See, God is waiting to send Jesus Christ to come and get his bride in the rapture, and then to usher in the judgment upon the world. Well, the fact is this, with every single day that passes, the world at large, the tares in the world, are validating and legitimizing the judgment that will fall. They're adding offense to God, and they're shaking their fist of God, and they're, they're uh, disobedient, denying the Creator, denying God. They're adding to their list of iniquity and sin and abom abominations. The fact is this, with every day that passes, guess what? More fruit is being produced. The tares are being identified. And guess what day is coming? Harvest day is coming. The time of reaping will happen. And my friend, it is only the long-suffering and patience of God. But with every day, they're legitimizing and validating the judgment that will fall in the tribulation. You know how Revelation 14 goes on to describe? It says they will be put into the winepress of God's wrath. Judgment is coming. Harvest day will happen. The tares will be separated. The wheat will be separated. It will be obvious as it is even now to an almighty God. But we'll be able to see the fruit, even ourselves. You see, slowly but surely, mankind is ripening in their iniquity and offense against God. 
But what about the wheat? What about you and me who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? May I submit to you today, this morning, that you and I are to be ripening in fruit too? Harvest day isn't here, my friend. Do this with me, will you? Everyone, do this with me. Take a deep breath. You know what that means? You're still alive. We hope. Listen to me. That means you can still bear fruit. You haven't reached harvest time. God hasn't called you home. Harvest time has not happened for you. I pray that everyone here, you and I, I pray the real harvest of the rapture happens very soon, maybe this week, and you and I can wave to each other as we're going up. Amen? That'd be wonderful. But I do know this. Whether it be death, graduation day, or it be the rapture, the fact is this. Until that day comes, whichever it is, you and I can still bear fruit. We can still ripen. And why does God tarry? What does he want for us as the wheat? He wants us to bear fruit. He wants you and I adding to crowns in heaven, producing fruit to the glory of God, all while surviving this life with the tares. So while God tarries in his patience, he's giving us the opportunity to produce more fruit to his glory. Harvest time is coming. There's two different stops described here, presented in the parable. The Bible says the tares shall be gathered and burned in the fire. We have termed, termed this the, the fire's torment. Verse 40 says that. Verse 42 says a furnace of fire. And then it's described in Christ's own words as a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now that description is rather graphic, isn't it? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's used to communicate intense pain and agony and torment. Uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is often associated with the King James Bible, and I have won a copy of it, it defines gnashing as this, a grinding or striking of the teeth in rage or anguish. You ever seen someone so angry or so much in pain, they're grinding their teeth? They're just, uh, their, their teeth are just grinding the thing? I'll tell you, we had a dads versus lads soccer game on Friday, and some old men are in so much pain tonight they're grinding their teeth so if you see that they're in so much soreness and pain they're grinding. hey have you ever been in so much agony boy yeah maybe you've broken a bone or something you're just grinding your teeth that's what's described here. that's literally what's described it is so much torment and so much sorrow so much pain so much agony in a place called hell which is the eternal destiny of the terror that jesus christ says there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now listen to me carefully. He doesn't say it once. Jesus Christ uses this phrase at least seven times. You know what he descri is describing every single time? The harvest. The time of harvest. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. There are people in the world today who are going to be experiencing the place called hell, this place of fiery torment, where there will be welling and gnashing of teeth. You know, the fact is this. He spoke... God is love. There's no doubt. I was reading my devotions this week in, in, in John there, and he's talking about God is love. And if you know God, you're, you, you know love, and you know how to show it. That is so true. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those which are lost, which is the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, God is love. God has made heaven for you and I to enjoy. It's his domain. He's invited us into his place. No doubt. But isn't this amazing? A God of love who wants you and I in heaven spoke more about hell than he did heaven. 
in the Gospels. He did. He wants you and I to be warned, listen, that's not a place you want to go. God would rather heaven be full and hell empty any day and every day. Because it is a place of torment. It is a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of unquenchable fire. Hell is, and then also what is the ultimate destiny of, the, uh, of tares, the lake of fire. Christ is describing the eternal uh, state, eternal place for the tares. The Bible says they're going to be identified by their fruit clearly and obvious. The angels will do God's bidding and they will gather them together and cast them into the fire. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, could I challenge you, before harvest day comes, you put your faith and trust in him. Make sure you're a believer, you're a Christian. Make sure you put uh, your faith in him, you've trusted what he did on the cross to pay that penalty for your sins. But what about the wheat? Well, the same is true of the wheat. They're going to be identified by their fruit, the fruit of salvation, the fruit of being in the family of God. But verses 30 and 43 are most descriptive. It says that the wheat are going to be gathered into the barn. And I like this. Verse 30 makes it even more specific. It isn't just any barn. He says, I will gather them into my barn. My barn. The farmer's barn. We belong to him. In eternity will be a time spent in the very presence of God. You see, when the harvest time is upon us, when we will be raptured at the end time judgments, and uh, right before they're about to fall upon the field known as the world, notice this, what does he describe it as? Well, this is the Father's territory, and he said this in this verse, we will be found in his kingdom, his territory, when we will shine forth as the sun. And what a beautiful description, isn't it? God is good. Are you part of the wheat today? Or are you a tear? Have you been discouraged and led astray and disillusioned by, by those who are tares? Maybe some people who, who are boy, you just kind of weakened and lessened your own faith. Don't let that happen. Look ahead to the harvest time and understand the farmer knows best. He has a plan. And my friend, though there may be fakes out there, the fact is this. The day is coming where the harvest will be gleaned. It's interesting, Jesus Christ concludes this parable with this statement. He says this, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. One of the joys of being a parent is holding the children when they are long, young, when they get bigger, that hurts more to hold them, amen? And, uh, but when they're young, you get to hold them, right? And little Ryan, a uh, year, eight, nine months, whatever he is, he, uh, holding him now, this is what he'll do. He'll, he'll, he'll look, as he looks close and looks at you, he'll point to nose. He'll go, nose, eyes, mouth. You know, sometimes with eyes, he's like, eyes? I'm like, yeah, it's not there anymore. I, <laughs> you got to stop doing that. And he'll go, ears, ears. Now listen, I'm not going to make you point to your ears. But the Bible says that he that hath ears, let him hear. And what he is saying is this. As you and I have the ability to comprehend the truth, it's twofold. Not only listen, but heed and understand. Let this parable impact your living, touch your heart. Let it infiltrate your mind. Heed it. Hear it with your ears. Understand it with your mind. Heed it with your heart and hands. It's a parable, honestly, it's a parable of warning with urgency. 
If you're a terror here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I challenge you, my friend, there's no better day than today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To come and claim his blood on your account for your sins like we all had to do it one day. Coming before God and saying, Lord, I realize I am a sinner, that I can't gain heaven on my own, but I understand and I'm trusting in that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And today I'm putting my faith and trust in him alone. I'm believing in him. The Bible says that, that, that belief in the salvation is made from the heart. Confession is made with the mouth. So believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. If you're wheat today, can I just challenge you this? Be reminded this morning the harvest is coming. Make sure you're wheat, but produce as much fruit as you can with every day you have. And don't let the tares or the enemy stop you. Don't let him affect you. And may God add his blessing to his word. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you for the preaching of it, the parables of Jesus Christ, and Father, how they touch our hearts, how they challenge us in many ways. And so today, Father, I pray that you be with every heart here. You know where we are at. Lord, we may not know where each other are. We don't know who the tares are, who the wheat are, but Father, you do. They are in heaven. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would speak and convict the heart of those who don't know you. Lord, in an auditorium filled with this many people, there is a good likelihood there is someone who is unsaved, who is not a citizen of heaven through faith and trust in Christ. Father, I pray right now, this moment, your Holy Spirit would convict them, that they would be honest before you, that they would own up to the reality that they are a tear, that they are not a child of God. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray in this moment you would convict them, move them to... Come forward in this invitation in just a few moments. Lord, may they understand that you have the words of life, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That there's no person that can gain heaven and lose hell except through Jesus Christ. May they put their faith and trust in you today. Then, Father, I pray for some wheat here. Some who've been disillusioned and maybe discouraged because they've seen some others fall away. May their hearts be encouraged today. May they allow the Holy Spirit to minister to them. And Father, lift them up. And may they get renewed and strengthened in their understanding of your plan. And Father, we rejoice that you are the farmer today. That you have a plan. That all this is according to your wonderful, fantastic plan. Father, be with each one of us as we, may we be challenged this morning to prepare for the harvest by producing more fruit. May we have a desire to simply bring you glory with every day we're given. Then, Father, I pray that as we look ahead to the harvest, may we have an unparalleled anticipation and expectation of being with you for all of eternity. Thank you for the promise of harvest time. Thank you for the promise that one day we'll Shine as the sun with you in your kingdom. Father, we join John in saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. Bless now in this invitation as only you can.